Hello and welcome to Revise, Rebut and Resubmit, a podcast that explores early career researchers' experiences in publishing their first academic paper and which celebrates this important milestone. My name is Jennifer Fitchett and I'm an Associate Professor of Physical Geography, an avid science communicator and a still relatively young academic with a passion for breaking down the barriers and unnecessary mysticism in the publication process. Each episode, I interview a new person on their journey in writing, revising, rebutting, resubmitting, and having their first academic paper published. This podcast is very kindly supported by the DSI-NRF Center of Excellence for Paleosciences. Just a short note before we get into this episode. Due to ongoing COVID-19 lockdown restrictions and travel restrictions, and because many of the interviewees on this podcast are situated across the diverse regions of South Africa, This podcast and all of the previous podcasts have been recorded on Zoom remotely. This particular podcast struggles a little bit with issues of connectivity. And so, although it isn't a big problem and hopefully you will still be able to hear the story, I do ask for your patience where we have some issues where the sound wobbles a little bit or we have short disconnections. Thank you and enjoy this episode. Dr. Robert Muir is a senior lecturer in sedimentology at the University of the Free State. He completed his undergraduate and PhD at UCT, focusing on sedimentology, stratigraphy, and geochronology. After graduating with his PhD, Robert embarked on a postdoctoral fellowship at UCT, which was quite different to his previous research, with projects exploring neotectonics and dating paleo-earthquakes. His first paper was published in the journal Cretaceous Research, exploring evidence of a post-wildfire debris flow in the Kirkwood Formation in the Algoa Basin. Very warm welcome to you, Rob, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Yes, thank you very much for having me. So please explain to all of us who are not geologists what that first paper was about, because I'm reading words there that I'm sure I should be able to understand, but that I've never heard of. I can kind of understand wildfire, <laughs> but that's about it. Yes. No, it was a, it was a pretty simple paper, actually, but it um, was a product of my honours thesis, and when I, um, when I started doing a master's, my supervisor encouraged me to write it up and submit it. So that's what was done. And it's about a charcoal-rich layer in uh, Cretaceous sedimentary rocks in the Eastern Cape. And they seem to have been deposited in a flooding event. So it's quite interesting when you find a whole bunch of charcoal in a bed of, of sandstone. And it's seem to have been formed from a post-wildfire sort of flooding event. And that's kind of something you see in in the modern world as well. After fires, there's often, you know, the removal of vegetation causes slumping and uh, sedimentation rate sort of increases. And so it's exploring that, but just a little case study from from that uh, one deposit. That's an incredibly interesting first paper to have published and very impressive to be publishing work from your honours that can make a contribution to knowledge, even if it is, as you say, a case study. It's, it's a case study that has relevance to the modern world and to the types of landscape features that we see after a wildfire, but also in discovering these kinds of deposits in a Cretaceous setting is really, really exciting. So just to begin by saying congratulations, that's really a huge achievement, especially from an honours degree. Yeah, thanks. Um, it was a fun, fun one as well. Um, it was good field work, and uh, that, well, that was motivating for me. 
<laughs> That's amazing. Those are always the best papers to write up are the ones that are, in a sense, a diary of fun field work and a great experience that yeah. you can look back to. So as work that came from research, um, so I'm sure that, that. you're... I'm sure that your supervisor would have played quite a, a significant role in encouraging you to write that up as a paper and perhaps in guiding you through that process. So do you want to speak a bit to the role of your supervisor and how that supervisor-student relationship evolved to being co-authors on this paper? Yes. Um, my supervisor, Emma Shabordi, who's at UCT, she was very encouraging at the time. You know, I'd submitted my honors thesis and passed, and it was not quite in a manuscript format, a little bit long winded and whatnot. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's typical of an honors thesis. So I edited it down and, and submitted it, and, and she was you know, there the whole time, both encouraging me to do it. And to do it while it's fresh on my mind, I, I was completely unfamiliar with the process of submitting paper. So she was very helpful in that regard. You know, I didn't even know who to submit it to. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, especially for the first paper, that guidance is absolutely crucial in identifying the paper and understanding what kind of length and format it needs to be adapted to and then how to engage throughout the whole process of writing and, and going out to review. Yes, definitely. It's, it's, it was a process that I knew nothing about going into it. And so, so Emisha actually was the corresponding author for that paper because she simply told me that there's a lot of things that you need to learn about this. And she's happy to be the corresponding author and then just bring me in and show show me the ropes essentially what the correspondence looks like what document you receive and what you need to produce in terms of explaining the corrections that you have made and so she was very helpful in that regard and by the end of it I definitely knew a lot more and then could take on that corresponding author role going forward but on my first one, yeah, it was it was a good experience, really good. And yeah. credit, credit to her for encouraging me to do it that way. Yeah, and I think it really speaks to the benefit of having a wonderful supervisor who's willing to not only encourage you to publish your work, but to guide you through the process, as you've said, and to be able to show you how to take on those kinds of roles in future papers and handle the correspondence and engage directly with the reviewers' comments and know how to structure them and, and all of the rest. Yes. So very, very important. How was the review process for that first paper? Yeah, it was a good review process. The, the paper itself was well-received, and I think it was kind of came in at the right time. There was, there, there is growing interest in the effects of wildfires on uh, the sedimentary rock record and that it came in at a nice time. So the editor was happy with it and, and it was accepted with minor revisions. And then those revisions, you know, the, the suggested edits were sent to, and then Emisha brought me in and explained to me the various things, told me that it's good news, and that then we talked about which of the authors was going to do what. And then we took it from there, but it wasn't a huge amount of work. 
That's excellent. And I think the most important thing I've just heard from you is that your supervisor explained to you that it was good news. And I think often yes. as supervisors, we're so used to the process of academic writing that we forget to actually translate information to our students. And we forget that particularly work that's from your honors, you're at a point in your academic career where you've always written an essay or written a project and handed it in and you've got a mark. And if that mark is a distinction, we're particularly happy. But if it's a pass, we know that we've done okay. And when you get back something that says minor revisions or major revisions, even worse, we think that the world is over because here we're being told to fix things and that things are therefore wrong. It's really a big mind shift for us to understand that minor revisions is in a sense the equivalent to a distinction. It's saying this is brilliant work. We're really happy. We're excited about this paper. We want to see it published. And here are a few things to address. And it really does need a degree of translation to be able to understand that that's the point when you stop and celebrate because you've got through the first major hurdle. It hasn't been desk rejected. It hasn't been rejected by the reviewers. And you're in the game and, and people have received it well. And I think that's something really important for everyone who's either already a supervisor and perhaps forgetting that, but also to, to people like you who've just started in a, an academic post and you'll start taking on a whole number of your students that to remember to make those translations and, and to tell people when things are good news. Yeah, totally. I had no idea. I mean, it's a different system. You know, if my honours thesis you submitted, you, you get it back. And that's that's what you're used to. I mean, up until that point, that was all I was used to. And so different system. And I definitely needed her to tell me it was good news. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, was, yeah, it was a big learning experience. Absolutely. And in more recent papers that you've written, do you want to perhaps share with the audience how your role has started to change uh, towards taking more leadership and taking on that role of corresponding author? And perhaps how that first paper has framed the way that you approach academic writing and the review process. Yes. Um, so that first paper we talked about, I was just starting my master's when that was submitted. And then I think it was during my PhD that I um, submitted you know, my first paper as the corresponding author. And that was also a pleasant experience because it was to the Journal of South African Geology and I was dealing with people who I'd met before and I submitted the paper and yeah, that was the first time that it was learning about literally the mechanics of submitting a paper. What do you do on the online portal? How does that work? And um, yeah, that was, that was fine and very, very helpful. And then to Gondwana research, that was some people I'd never heard of. And the portal via was very, yeah, very big and foreign for me. So it, it's been a multi-step process learning how to do it. And I'm still learning, but just getting the, getting the basics sorted. I think it was during my PhD that I got to understand what needs to be done. And then on, on we go and until the next paper. <laughs> I think that's so important to reflect on how different each of the journals platforms are and that we have to keep relearning every time we submit to a new publishing house or a, a new umbrella of different journals that something that could become quite routine working for um, 
papers submitted for, to the South African Geological Journal, for example, might be a completely different set of processes to submitting something to an Elsevier journal or a Taylor and Francis journal. And I think that's important to recognize as well, that we can become quite complacent thinking that we now know the system and only to find that there are very different ways of doing things when you submit somewhere else. Yeah, totally. And it, it can be quite complicated. And also just preparing the manuscript. It's so different from journal to journal and what's required. And the, the South African Journal of Geology, I think, was a, a soft transition because it actually was a paper that follows quite a rigid structure based on the South African Commission of Stratigraphy. And um, and it follows a structure that you know I was able to follow quite closely, and so that helped. But in subsequent paper in, that I submitted to Gondwana Research, it was picking apart what type of what type of public what type of manuscript am I submitting, and how I'm going to do the figures, and that kind of stuff was. Yeah, it just requires a little bit of reading and getting used to, I suppose. Absolutely. And in your subsequent papers, to what extent do you think that the kind of feedback that you got early on, particularly having minor revisions on your first paper, to what extent has that framed a, a sense of confidence in your academic writing, but also perhaps the way in which you are preparing manuscripts for submission? And has that evolved over the years as you've started to write more and more and uh, particularly writing papers from scratch rather than developing down from an honors thesis? Yeah, it's uh, definitely the process has changed with time. And I think most of us find writing quite difficult, but it's also one of the most rewarding things to do in science, I find. And I think for me, the, the, one of the biggest challenges is to write freely and without too much self-criticism early on in the process, you know, getting that first draft done quickly and then acknowledging that it's there to be improved. So that's been something that has changed uh, with time for me is when I first submitted that Cretaceous research paper, it was uh, derived from a radio body of work, my thesis. So that was uh, quite um, pleasant. Then the subsequent papers I wrote, but I, I was very critical of what I was actually uh, writing. And so it took a while to get a at first draft out. I'm trying to get better and in, in, in subsequent papers I've, uh, I've really focused on banging that first draft out and then improving it later on. I've also worked with other scientists and in papers in which I was not the first author Especially, I, I work with some geophysicists, and they they pretty tech savvy, and they introduced me to a bunch of tools that allow for better collaboration. So, you know, my experiences up until fairly recently have been um, mostly with Word and you know a couple couple extras, but being able to to collaborate with something like Overleaf has been quite nice, you know, seeing everyone being able to work on the same document at the same time and being able to contribute a small part of, of, of essentially somebody else's paper um, as a, as a co-author has been, has been an also something new that I've learned uh, fairly recently and using some of these uh, tools. 
Yeah, and I think it's, as you say, another new lesson is how to work collaboratively where it's not your research project, but rather you're contributing something to a much bigger body of work that somebody else is leading. And I think it's a very enjoyable space to get into. And it's something that makes our work so much more interesting and diverse is that it's moving away from every single project being your own child that you are raising for the space of an honors or a master's or a PhD, but to say, I have a range of skills and expertise and I can give a huge amount of that input, or I can give quite a small amount and that some projects will require more of your skills and contribution than others. And that there's space for all of those different types of of projects and for you to engage in a number of different things rather than just working on one particular topic. Yes, I've actually really enjoyed that, being a part uh, of a a larger study and not being the main um, author and the main investigator, but instead having a smaller contribution. That's something that came to me much more recently, and it was a very, very, very pleasant experience, actually. And it's exciting to have the variety to be able to, in some instances, yeah, lead, lead the show and, and in other instances have a meaningful but much smaller contribution to maybe a paper that's, yeah, it's someone else's baby. But it's, a, yeah, that very variety is, I find, great. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I wanted to circle back to is your very good advice to just bang out that first draft and to get past the idea of perfection or this uh, hope to make sure that in that first draft, every figure is perfect and every sentence is grammatically sound and all the rest. And to actually just sit down and say, what is the story I'm telling and how do I put that together? And that that first draft could be the last draft. It's unlikely, but it could be. But that there is space for that to be one of seven drafts or one of 12 drafts. And that the most important thing is that you can't start editing effectively until you've got something on paper and and to get to that point where you have a working draft of something that tells your story. Totally. That's something, it's a work in progress. I, I, I can quite easily fixate on the the way I've written something and the minor details way too early in the process but it's for me been um, very helpful just being aware of the strategy to first get that rough draft out and I think aiming towards that has really um, helped me because it can be a very stifling experience you know dragging the first draft out, whereas uh, it's actually a lot more fun to just write freely and getting that first draft done and then editing it afterwards. So that's, that was, that's been one of the biggest steps towards better writing that, that I've learned is, is getting that draft out quickly and not fixating on it because it's a killer. And in my in a thesis, you know, PhD thesis, a master's thesis, yeah, I did a lot of fixating. <laughs> I wish, wish I had done it differently. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we all have had periods where we've really, really fixated on detail and lost sight of mm. the bigger picture and the bigger story that we want to tell. Something, yeah, that, totally. something that I keep 
noticing and reflecting on when speaking to you is that you still seem to get tremendous joy out of the academic process, going into the field, doing the research and, and even writing it up and sending it out for review. And it's very refreshing to hear because I think a lot of people get so caught up in the negatives of the review process or the writing process or just the sheer time involved in it. And so I'm curious about what it is that, that keeps you so enthusiastic but also whether you've had any big blows to uh, your confidence or your feeling of joy towards academia. Uh, have you had any papers rejected? Have you had any major revisions? And how do you keep up that positivity? Yes, I've, of course, I've had some major revisions, particularly with a, a paper that's currently in the pipeline. There's actually a lot of authors on that paper. So it's got everyone's responsible for a small part of that paper. But there's there's been lots of reworking of that one and um, and back and forth. But it's a part of the process. And there's been I've never had a terrible experience. I think the maybe in my um my 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 PhD thesis couple couple things that the examiner said that you felt maybe they were a bit unfair here or there. But in the um, full paper, I've had a generally pretty good experience. Definitely, I'm not without the stresses of, of, of academia. You know, there's, there are um, expectations to be productive and in a way that does uh, get, me, get me going. But that's definitely also adds to some, some level of stress. But I definitely enjoy what I do. I like uh, being a scientist. Um, it scratches the curiosity in me. And I think writing itself is such a huge part of being a scientist. And that's something that I, I don't think we're often told. I actually think it's at least a third of, um, of what a scientist is, is a writer, more even. But it's something that um, I'm constantly trying to get better at. And that the prospect of, you know, uh, encapsulating a story and, and uh, in your scientific manuscript is uh, fascinating for me. So I'm pretty keen to, to do it and it excites me. But I, I think I've got a lot to learn. And sometimes, you, uh, you know, you read a paper and it's just like, wow, that was well written. And it's quite motivating, I think, when, when one reads such a paper that is to just try and write something that's well put together. So that, that is a bit of a motivation for me. But yeah, I've got a lot to learn. Uh, yeah, it's just I've got a lot to learn. I'm, I'm not there yet. Well, you've certainly had a very, very strong start. What you've said about the amount of writing in science, I think, is really important. We go through particularly undergraduate degrees in science, where we look at our friends who are doing humanities degrees and they're writing multiple essays every week. Every subject they do has an essay due. And we're sitting there writing up lab reports, which are maybe a page long and are very, very focused on the tables and the graphs and not really the writing. And I think it's something that we as scientists find quite a big adjustment when we hit our honors year. And then as we go through to masters and PhD, is actually finding our voice as a writer and recognizing, as you say, that writing is about a third of our job and that we shouldn't be shying away from seeing writing as, in high school, writing is what you do in English, but science is when we go and we throw chemicals together and have great explosions. 
And I've been in many discussions about how to address that in, in the academic syllabus, but I think it's something that's really important in encouraging young scientists to say, you are a writer and you need to spend time in honing that particular craft and your quality of the outputs that you have is only as good as your ability to be able to write them up because that's how you communicate that story most effectively. You can present at a conference, but you're only presenting to the audience of people in that room. When you write a paper, it's out there for everyone to read for the rest of time. So I think that's a really important point. And perhaps you could reflect on some of the things that you did to improve your writing. I know you said that the big thing was learning to just write and put something down on paper. But what else have you found were really important steps in developing particularly an academic writing voice? Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's just such an important aspect of, of um, being a scientist. And it's not always treated as such you know, during, our, you know, it's, during our training. It's, it's a, only a small part of it. And then you're expected to write a thesis. And uh, a lot of people, including myself, are quite daunted by that task. But we learn on the on the while we're doing it, and it's it's something that I'm still in, trying to improve at. But I, I really enjoyed, yeah. When one, once I recognized that writing was so important, and you know, a paper that I was reading that I found so influential during my research was often the paper that was written well, and it was a paper that made a succinct point that was you know, backed by the, the evidence that they presented. And so it just became increasingly obvious that the way something is written is absolutely critical. And so that's when I started to try and improve my writing. Um, you know, and this was probably during my, my PhD write-up was when I first really actively worked hard on my writing. And it's been, a, it's been a good experience. I think the, as I mentioned, one of the main things, just getting that first draft out, not fixating, and then being able to you know, tell a coherent and simple story um, from the data that you have, I think has been also something that I've, I've enjoyed thinking about. And I think it improves the end product is, to, to really spend some time thinking, what, what do the data say about um, a phenomenon? And how can you present it in a way that is appealing and short and you know, supported by the evidence? But often we have so much data and really it's just a small portion of it that makes a certain point. Right. And so being able to package your data honestly, honoring all your data points, but selling it in a way that makes a specific point and not too many different things is also something that I've you know, had to be aware of, because certainly when you finish a PhD, there's just so much data that say so many different things that individual papers need to really come from the different aspects of that data. And so breaking it down is also something I try to focus on. During my PhD, I read a wonderful book while I was trying to improve writing. And it's uh, simply titled Writing Science by Joshua Schimmel. 
And it's a great book. And it also makes an important point that your writing is critical, not just for, you know, getting that paper out, but also for that paper to, you know, be cited and be relevant. It's something that's going to fare well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the really interesting things to see here is that you are reading about writing, but you're also reading other academic papers with a keen eye on their writing style and how you want to develop your own. I think many of us do that subconsciously. We read a good paper and we look carefully at their choice of words and their sentence construction and all the rest. But I think there's something to be said for very deliberately doing that and saying, this is a great paper. Why am I enjoying it? And as you say, breaking it down and saying, I'm enjoying it because they put across the point so succinctly. I'm enjoying it because of the clarity. And then learning from that and really thinking about our own academic writing and how we could emulate that. I think in academia, we're so scared of plagiarism and we don't recognize what a huge area there is between plagiarizing and using somebody else's words and putting them forward as your own versus using somebody's writing style and using that to develop your voice and to develop your approach to, as you say, selecting the data that you want to bring together, formulating the story, choosing the level to which you engage with the jargon of your discipline versus breaking it down to a generalist public. And I think that's really where we should be placing our interest is around developing our writing style from other people and knowing that we don't sit in isolation, that it is absolutely fine to draw inspiration from people around us. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And um, and I, I encourage anyone who's um, wanting to improve their writing to, to treat it as a skill that requires a deliberate attention. I, I definitely think any writer will improve with practice, but really thinking about your writing rather than what you're writing is, uh, is hugely beneficial. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, Robert, thank you so much. You've really given a number of excellent pieces of advice and reading recommendations and suggestions and more than all of that enthusiasm for hopefully many, many early career researchers and students who are going to be walking the road that you have over the last couple of years in writing their first and then subsequent papers. So it's been really wonderful chatting to you today. And thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for having me. I enjoyed the chat. And I, I totally think that there's a lot of, of good work to be done on, on just improving the writing process and, and helping people with that. So I think what you're doing is great. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revise, Rebut and Resubmit. Hopefully it's given you some insight into the process of academic writing and approaching that first academic paper. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more of this show, please subscribe to this podcast. A huge thanks again to the Centre of Excellence for Paleoscience for supporting this work.